This week, there are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like Blade. This is Body Counts and Beer. Hello and welcome to another edition of Body Counts and Beer. I'm Mark Rosendahl. I'm Patrick Bromley. I am the motherfucker who's always trying to ice skate uphill, <laughs> Jonathan Rooney Taylor. <laughs> and this week, uh, we are celebrating Wesley Snipes' return to Hollywood, uh, coming to America, just dropped on Amazon this week. So we're discussing 1998's Blade. Content warning. Uh, there is definitely a scene in this that is deeply and uncomfortably coded as a sexual assault. And uh, joke content warning, this movie's full of Draculas. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's got some uh, skeletons in it, too. Look out. Oh, ooh, we'll get there. We yeah. will get there. Uh, so Blade, uh, uh, the first like proper Marvel movie... Uh, if you want to overlook the Dolph Lundgren Punisher film, like I do. Oh, no, buddy. <laughs> it counts. Uh, there's that, yeah. and there's the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury. That yeah. was a TV movie, so it doesn't Ooh, count. Okay. <laughs> that was Are only you up for an Emmy. The, the trial of the Incredible Hulk with Matt Murdock <laughs> as the defense attorney and a witness, Thor, is not <laughs> canon in the cinematic universe because I say, fuck that. Yeah, no, I'm with John on this one. <laughs> okay, you got me there. You got me there. So Blade begins, like all movies do, in the year 1967. <laughs> the swinging 60s. Yeah. That's right. The Beatles are riding high on whatever album they put out that year. Uh, 67, and, uh, that would have been Help? That's like Is white, that Help? No, that's probably the White Album. Really? That early? Yeah. Yeah, I guess they were only around for four years, so... Yeah, they, they didn't last very long. Um, uh, some so would argue, 19... rightfully so. <laughs> I wouldn't. <That's... laughs> I don't know, late period Beatles, man. It just, it it, it sticks in my craw, buddy. Let's, let's put out an album that has no name and is full of fart noises. Yeah, okay. Good idea, John. Cha-ching! Yeah, I mean, we'll open I, it with one good George Harrison song, and then it'll be two hours of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say you're wrong, John, but I think you're evil, so that's okay. Uh, so moving on, it's 1967, and a, a young woman is being rushed into the emergency room. She is pregnant and is bleeding profusely from the neck. And as this if this woman... day couldn't get any worse, she goes into labor. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and her baby is taken away as uh, uh, she passes on. She has been bitten by a vampire or uh, uh, Juanpir, or whatever you want to call them. Or I guess um, they call they call half vampires daywalkers. So are the regular vampires nightwalkers? Uh, no. Are they night Probably. runners? No. See, I think Dexy's midnight runners. Now that's correct. Okay. Are they, oh, gotcha. okay. Got it. That's true. They they sing just like their fathers do. <laughs> yes, and every single vampire in this movie is shown to be wearing just dirty overalls with no shirts underneath. Well, that's oh, yeah. when they get when they get staked and all of their other clothes burn off. You see that that's their like equivalent of like the white tank top. Yes. 
so uh, she's been bitten by a vampire. She gives birth to a baby who is half man, half vampire, all manpire, <laughs> blade. And we cut to now. Well, it was now then. Now it's then. Wait, when will then be now? <laughs> Look, I can't get into this with you right now. <laughs> we, we are officially a year, a full-on year of quarantine. I, time has no meaning. Woo! That's true. <laughs> Stop celebrating. <laughs> and cut your hair, you hippies. We can't. Yeah. It's too viral out there. Right. I do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I look like a fat, stupid baby whenever I do a buzz. I have tried a buzz cut in the past, and yeah, I just, I look like that, uh, the cigar-chomping baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we can't all do the Mark thing where it's just the beard from chin all the way to the top of his head. That's true. Yeah, that's the same true. length. Well, the idea is to, like, frame the outer part of my head, like one circle, like one complete oval there. Yeah. Uh, it does yeah. a really good job of uh, hiding the eight extra chins. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that is absolutely my problem. Anytime I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get fancy. I'm gonna do clean shaven. I'm gonna style my hair in a cool way, and it's just like, oh boy, it's like someone smushed a face on top of my face. That is too many yeah. chins by an order minute- of magnitude. <laughs> The minute the beard comes off, it looks like I'm wearing the fake skin from Darkman, and it's starting to bubble away. <laughs> That's the famous so anyways, line from Darkman, right? Yeah, actually. Yeah, Darkman that was, was played uh, by Burgess Meredith, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It was number 77 on AFI's list of top 100 quotes. <laughs> from Darkman. Darkman. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, now we are now in the now, which is this movie is 1997-98. Uh, we see Tracy Lords leading an unsuspecting doof uh, through a meatpacking area uh, now, into... Did this character ever become, I mean, the, the, the doof that is being led, Does he? did he come back in a way that I missed? Because no. nope. this is a really long way to go to fuck with a guy, one one guy. Yes. The whole opening scene of this movie is a prank played on this unsuspecting doofus. Yeah. So Tracy Lords, a uh, 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 former underage porn star, current actor, uh, leads this guy uh, through, yeah, like I said, like this weird industrial uh, area of town and through a meatpacking district into this crazy ra- warehouse rave. Which seemed to be um, like a thing that was just in the water in the like 90s and early 2000s of like all the coolest clubs are in meatpacking warehouses. Right. They're in places you would never go and they play the coolest electronica, man. Oh man, we've got exactly one drum beat and two bass lines. Electronic yeah. music in the 90s was so bad that when Moby showed up and was like, I got all these soul records, I guess I could play a clip of them. They were like, oh, thank God, yes, put you in all the commercials. This man will be a superstar. The, this put movie, this man the, at the end of every Bourne movie from now until eternity. The end? He scored the first one, didn't he? <laughs> Uh, the, the thing with like the electronic music in this movie, which is most of the music is it is bad. Correct. I will go on record again and saying this era of music of the like up tempo four on the floor, bass heavy, 
synthy dance club drum club music is bad for movie scores. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. It ruins everything. If this movie had just a simple orchestral score like any other superhero movie, even a boring generic one like uh, by Alan Silvestri or something, it would bump the movie up a whole letter grade. Oh, but instead, yeah. the whole movie is just like... It's all like shitty Mortal Kombat ripoff music. Because yeah. it turns out that a drum and a bass is not enough to make a full song out of. You need like one more instrument, please. Right? I mean, look at the doors. They didn't even need a bass. That's true. <laughs> they probably would have benefited from one, though. Nah. That's also Yeah. I will say this, all of the best door songs, which are none of them, but the ones that <laughs> I was gonna are gonna say, right? But the ones that are kinda good all have a kind of baseline in them. So it <laughs> blows my mind that while we're burning bridges with the boomers about their shit music, uh, <laughs> fuck all of Jim Morrison. Every door song is like two stanzas of hastily written quote unquote poetry. And then 13 minutes of just noodling on an organ while Jim Morrison, I guess, fucks off. Yeah, well, Jim Morrison had to spend a lot of time on stage doing drugs, drinking alcohol, and exposing himself to underage women in the audience. Yeah. I will say Jim Morrison has one of my favorite, like, caught live, like, live, like, talking to the crowd bullshit moments. And it's, uh, it's on, like, the greatest hits album. It's a live cover of Roadhouse Blues. And at the end, he like the the song ends. He's like, oh, I, I want to just talk to you. I'm a uh, I'm an Aquarius. Now that I think it means nothing, and I think it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want you to know, you can get your kicks before the whole shitstorm goes down. <laughs> and it's it's very clear that Jim Morrison stumbled on stage. Saying Roadhouse, you know, gonna rock me to rock me myself, and then the rest of the band was like, I guess we're a blues band for this next four minutes. And then when it's over, he's just like, I'm just gonna yell a bunch of shit, and then I'm gonna go, <laughs> and that's my Jim Morrison impression. Well, yeah, that was the famous quote from the uh, the '90s Doors movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was number. That, yeah, that reached fifty-eight. 50 yeah. yeah, 58 on the AFI list of best quotes. <gasps> uh, yeah, fuck the Doors, too. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you this. I bought, uh, I have only ever owned one Doors album, and it is the Doors' greatest hits because a girl I was into in high school really loved the Doors. And I was just like, ah, oh, man, I fucking hate the Doors, but <laughs> I will do anything to get laid. Yep. So I bought this, I bought this Doors album, and I listened to it constantly so I could learn all the words to the song so the next time that like we hung out I could quote Doors lyrics to her and prove that I liked the Doors yeah um you couldn't just show her that one kids in the hall sketch (laughs) John the internet didn't exist back then oh no I'm very old. Then you just park her in front of Comedy Central and just wait for the episode to pop up. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> uh, anyways, that didn't work out because the doors are not good for anybody. No. True. Yeah. And I swear to God, the only reason anyone was ever into the doors is because a person they wanted to have sex with was into the doors. Absolutely true. And most of the people who... Who were those people? Were people who actually liked Jim Morrison exposing himself to them? That's also true. 
Uh, I will also say, while we're shitting on Jim Morrison, I'd like to take a moment to shit on Van Morrison. <laughs> yeah, boy, that protest song. Didn't see that coming. There's never been a good Morrison. Like, Van Morrison's always been a grumpy asshole, but it was okay because he wrote Moondance, and you were like, all right, Van Morrison, I'll deal with you being a little grumpy. I mean, his grumpy asshole always used to be like, hey, the coal miners in the 80s got a real bad deal. Fuck Margaret Thatcher. And it's like, right on, Van. I can get on board for this. And then he's like, hey, aren't masks bullshit? Oh, no. (laughs) Well, there's there's also a lot of, uh, Van Morrison also has a lot of, like, do you ever notice how many immigrants are over here now? That's bad. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. I guess well, I never really dug deep enough in the Van Morrison catalog to get to the really racist songs. Look, to be fair, John, if you listen to any Van Morrison after, I'm going to say 1979, you're wasting your time. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Uh, with uh, hey, the any, exception. Any other Morrisons we want to put on blast? <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to take on Tommy Morrison, who played uh, the main uh, bad guy in uh, Rocky V, Tommy Gunn. He was a a racist homophobe who uh, got AIDS, (laughs) then denied he had AIDS, and then died of AIDS. (laughs) That's rough. Yeah. Sure. Well, he was such a homophobe that when he contracted AIDS... He was just like, well, I can't have AIDS. Only gay people have AIDS. So clearly I don't have AIDS. Ugh. Then he died of AIDS. Yikes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> also, not that great a boxer. No, no. Substandard, yeah. for yeah. sure. Uh, let me think if there are any other Morrisons I want to take on right now. Yeah, right. You know what? Hey, Mark Morrison. Oh, no. You told me that the the return of the Mac was coming. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't see him. I'm sorry, Mark Morrison. I love the song "Return of the Mac." I listen to it all the time. It has the best. It has the best, uh, uh, like, like improv, like lines that are thrown in between things. Because it's like "Return of the Mac" once again. Return of the top of the world. I, I love that shit. The, when he goes, "Oh my God," it makes me so happy. Anyways, right. so now that we finished the tour of people who could have done a better job of scoring the movie Blade. <laughs> True. Hey, Mark Morrison goes to the top of the list. <laughs> Saving the best for last. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, she le- uh, Tracy Lords leads this doof into this rave. There's a bunch of people dancing. She's like dancing. With- she immediately abandons him to go dance with this other woman. And he's just like, oh, what am I even uh, doing here? Uh, uh. And then like, uh, st- uh, what's it? Steven Dorff, who will be our villain, Deacon Frost, like bumps into the guy and the camera lingers on his uh, sullen heroin emaciated face yeah it looks like he walked out of an audition for train spotting and just stumbled into this movie yeah we see donald logue's like shitty dumbass vampire character just hanging out with some other vampire ladies oh we're not supposed to know that they're vampires yet until oh doofus guy feels a drop of blood on his cheek and what does he do the first thing he does he tastes it right because he's got to figure out if it's cocaine or not (laughs) (laughs) is this that new red liquid cocaine i've been hearing about dripping from the ceiling i love that i think i saw that on 60 minutes (laughs) morley safer tried it (laughs) then he stole a golf cart and crashed into the ralphs in los angeles 
Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I want to give one high five to the first like screenwriter or or story creator who was just like, "Hey, wait a minute! Vampires can only go out at night." Hey, hold on a second. Young people go out at night. What if? <laughs> what if? <laughs> We put the two together, and vampires were like young people. <laughs> I will give him one high five for that one very good idea, and then I will throw him down the Springfield Gorge like in that episode of The Simpsons. Because, <laughs> oh boy, that got real tired real fast. Yeah, it absolutely did. It really reaches its nadir one year later in Dracula 2000. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all of a sudden the sprinklers turn on and this uh, a, a lights illuminate the name of the rave, which is the bloodbath. <laughs> and uh, in probably the coolest thing that, and the only thing anybody remembers from that movie, aside from Blade's immortal quote at the end, is that it turns into a blood rave. Blood shoots out of the sprinkler systems covering everybody and they dance and our hapless doofus is just like <laughs> reduced to being shoved around by everybody yeah they Nobody's don't even like, like eat him they just want to like fuck with him a little bit right they just show him their teeth and push him which was why yeah. i kept thinking like oh he'll play into the prophecy later they needed to capture him and keep him alive for whatever this blood god is all about but no he just they just push him around. They no, want yeah, to then... push him around, and they do. And they <laughs> and do. They do. <laughs> Another person who could have done a better job scoring this movie. <laughs> hey, man, but if I this say movie for... had a, a Rob Thomas Matchbox 20 score, <laughs> I'd be on board. Even if it was Rob Thomas and Santana coming together to put that shit together, because you know it would be smooth. That's true. <laughs> what I love about that song is that it is so clear that Santana recorded his guitar bit and then left the studio. And four <laughs> oh. days later, Rob Thomas showed up. Blip, dip, 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 <laughs> yep. That's I how the lyrics that song you, go. I guarantee you Santana has never heard the finished song Smooth. <laughs> okay. Now, John, here's where I'm going to take a moment to disagree with you, only because that album, specifically Supernatural, Santana put together because he had been uh, forgotten about at, at, by popular culture at large for like 20 years at this point. And so it was his... Uh, yeah, it was his cold, big like comeback album. Well, it was his cold, calculated capitalist attempt to leave behind like his gu guitar histrionics and like syncopated Latin rhythms to embrace pure pop songwriting with songwriters outside of his atmosphere uh, to work with that. And he played that song live every opportunity he could. <laughs> that I does not I mean I felt like I remembered seeing him play it live with Rob Thomas right there singing next to him. And I as will, infuriating I will as that must be. I will guarantee you that if you were able to hack into the monitor that Santana had in his earpiece, it's just his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that'd be for the best. Yeah. Now, the th getting back to this blood sprinkler situation, uh... This should be way more hilarious than the movie presents it, right? 
Yeah. Uh, yes. Like, this movie is dead fucking serious about every stupid thing it does, but this should be like a Sam Raimi camera goes wild, like, whoa! And instead it's like, they're, uh, the women are like, very sensually rubbing themselves in the blood, and the, the like, drum and bass gets even darker and harder, and it's supposed to be like, horrifying, but like... Nah, dude, this is like when the house throws up on Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead 2. This is very funny. Yeah. Yeah, they. It, one of the things this movie does that a lot of vampire fiction does is it treats everything vampires do as sex. And so the minute the blood comes out, like everyone just starts licking each other. And you're just supposed to be like, ooh, yeah. isn't it sexy and dark and creepy? There's like, a, a lot no. of tongue in this movie. A There's lot a of tongue. So much tongue. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, our hapless doofus uh, is saved when who should walk in but Wesley goddamn snipes. And I love his entrance here as Blade. He steps into this room. Everyone stops what they're doing. The sprinkler system cuts out. And they all look at him, and everyone to a person goes, Oh no, it's Blade! <laughs> Watch out for Blade! <laughs> it's him! It's the Daywalker! And he unleashes his fucking silver shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. Which, now, so, alright. A couple things. Blade in this universe is like the, the, the vampire's ultimate nightmare. He's got all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses. He knows everything about vampire culture, and he has exactly one mission, which is to shut it down. He's the best at what he does, and what he does ain't very nice. But, like, strategically, why are you not blocking the entrance, Blade? You let, like... 50 goddamn vampires out <laughs> immediately. The first thing he does is let a bunch of vampires go. Well, I think that if I understand what gets said later in the movie about this, is that he's looking either specifically for Frost or someone that works closely with Frost. So I guess he just doesn't care about the horde of other vampires. He's looking to kill specific ones. Yeah, Blade. Blade isn't interested in the rank and file vampires. Right. He only wants he wants middle management and up when it comes to vampires. <laughs> but he doesn't want work a day, on, suckheads. Yeah, yeah, no no hourly wage vampires. He only wants salaried vampires. Well, later on in the movie, he says, everyone I kill gives me a piece of my life back. And it's like, dude, you could have been done like a decade ago if you just like <laughs> stuck to it, man. You make a kill box. You don't just show up, announce, hey, Blade's here, everyone, and then watch as they run away. Well, he kept having his hunts interrupted to go on tour and play songs with Chris Christopherson. And the yeah. world needed that, John. <laughs> the world needed it. <laughs> Very That's true. right. Everyone forgets that Highwaymen album where it was Chris Christopherson, <laughs> Willie Nelson, uh, yeah, and Wesley Merle Snipes Haggard, on, uh, Merle harmonica. Haggard, and Blade. And Blade, yeah. yeah. He plays the harmonica and the tambourine, the two instruments you give your friend to give him a paycheck so that he can commit tax fraud. Right. That's true. That's well, what got Willie Nelson in trouble. He can't mm -hmm. file his taxes as a vampire hunter, John. <laughs> That's true. All that payment is under the table cash. Right. Well, we do see later on in a very clever moment that he does pay for everything with pawned jewelry. Yeah, yeah he, yeah. 
So anyways, uh, Blade begins blowing up vampires with his silver shooting shotgun. Uh, and this is where we see when, when vampires are uh, um, uh, hit with silver, they like turn to ash. They like, burn away to well, ash. It's silver yeah. bullets with garlic because this movie yes. is obsessed. Like they, they read exactly as far as vampires hate sunlight and garlic. And that was it. So every vampire is hurt either with sunlight or garlic. And or silver. silver. Right. The one thing that the movie does do, though, where it was like, they're like, oh, so vampires hate crosses, huh? Well, not in our movie. In our movie, crosses don't do shit. Our vampires yeah. are real. Yeah, they don't yeah. believe in Jesus because it's 1998. <laughs> I guess I was reading the IMDb trivia, and I guess when David Goyer was putting the movie, was writing the script, and they were like in the early days of like development, uh, they decided they were going to throw out the vampires being you know allergic or, or whatever to crosses because somebody was like, well, what if the vampire was Jewish? And he was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's always yeah. That's that's always been the the kind of stumbling block of using any kind of specific religious iconography to fight a vampire. It's just like you don't know what that vampire's life. That's true. Uh, so, anyways, Blade just like wipes out a bunch of guys with his shotgun. Then at one point, he runs out of ammo, so he just throws it at a guy. Yeah, <laughs> well, he throws it over a guy, and it like hits a pillar, and the camera like makes sure to like linger there, like it's gonna set it up for another portion of an action sequence. Like, he's going to, like, do a roll, like a shoulder roll, and pick it up and ice a vampire with it. But no, he, to my knowledge, he just leaves it there forever. Yeah, no, he does pick it up, I think, at the end of the scene and shoot somebody, but it's way later. Yeah. If then I recall. he pulls out his, uh, his cool, like, uh, boomerang His fucking thing. crawl boomerang, yeah. 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 And he fucking some guys up with that. Then he pulls out his sword. This whole this whole opening thing is like the tutorial level to the movie, where it shows us how he uses each weapon. Yeah, exactly. To make combos. Yeah. yeah, and what I love about specifically his like his blade boomerang, which is so iconic, it's like the the fucking box art of the DVD is him like holding it. And then later on in the movie, when he's giving exposition, he is shirtless and he stands up to enter frame, crosses his arms while still holding the fucking blade boomerang. <laughs> it's just like, boy, someone was really trying to get that sweet merchandise money out of that. Like, we can sell these babies at Hot Topic. Yeah, right? Now, well, there's a lot of good boomerang ninja necklines. stuff in this movie. True. Yeah, I want to take a moment to discuss Blade's costume. Sure. Um, sure. Because it is, if you'd have told me that Blade was created in 1994 by by Rob Liefeld, I would have believed you. Because his outfit is nothing but armor. Pouches buckles. and buckles, baby. Yeah, buckles and pouches. It's ridiculous. Oh, his on, vest yet, has like 90 pants. buckles. There's 90 buckles. <laughs> <laughs> the buckles make it extra bulletproof. And yeah, uh, Patrick, you were pointing out uh, the, the pleather, pleather pants. pants. Yep. Please. Yeah. Those are not leather pants. <laughs> no. Oh, and his and his duster is definitely pleather as oh, well. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Again, full of excellent mall ninja shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, I I can't. I I was right in the fucking. I weirdly enough, this is the first time I have seen the movie from beginning to end. I like missed Blade really? when it kind of first hit. Uh, and I've seen most of Blade 2, and I have seen the Patton Oswald bit about Blade 3. <laughs> but, like, again, man, same thing with The Crow. Last time, like, I owned a pair of pleather pants in ninth grade. I can't I can't say I didn't. <laughs> oh, I God. wore them motherfuckers to high school along with my anime button-up shirt. Uh, I want to believe wow. you had a Goo Goo Dolls frontman haircut to go with all that. Is that right? No, I always had a bad 12 years out of date haircut. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> always. Always in my life. Every time I go to the barber and I say, give me something nice, they say, make you look like an idiot. You got it, buddy. <laughs> I uh, I never went, I've never worn like leather or pleather pants. Mm-mm, no way. It's just not a thing. In high school for me, the like, the the, the 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 shitty douchebag pants I wore were just the wider the leg the better. Oh, the Jinkos! Hell yeah! <laughs> oh no no no! I could not afford a pair of Jinkos. <laughs> no, Jinkos just... is used like Xerox. It's just any giant uh, denim pant. Right. Ah, but see, I could not afford any of the pants specifically made to be wide legged. So I would just buy large pairs of pants. <laughs> And wear a belt. <laughs> and let me let me tell you something. Uh, from wearing those pleather pants exactly four times to high school, including one high school dance, they are uncomfortable. Yeah, they I'll bet. do not breathe, and uh, they make all kinds of noises. Yeah, I yeah. had I I had a corduroy phase where <laughs> that's very similar. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, I assumed that wearing leather pants was accurately described in that episode of Friends where Ross, like, gets stuck and can't get back into them. Is that Possibly. anything like the Seinfeld episode where Kramer tries to wear the skinny jeans and he gets stuck inside and he can't get out of them? <laughs> actually, I'm not sure. Uh, actually, John, that was a, a theme week on must-see TV. There was also, there was also an like episode of... Like when they had of, uh, Paul Reiser in all of the shows that yeah. night? As like a well, there was cameo. an episode. There was an episode of Caroline in the City where Caroline <laughs> bought a pair, bought a pair of corduroy pants and just could not get them off. They just were couldn't make tired. it happen. Yeah, she went out in the rain and they shrunk on her on her body. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just yeah. the problem was it began to flirt with Cronenberg body horror because when she finally got them off, the corduroy ridges had embedded themselves <laughs> so deep in her legs. She was now a corduroy person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she became the new Flash and she pulled a gun out of her tummy. I remember That's that right. one. Yeah, it makes sense. So, nice. anyways, uh, we're so. We're still in the blood <laughs> rave. <laughs> so, Blade kills all the vampires. Uh, it eventually just sets Donald Logue on. He, like, he sets Donald Logue on fire. Well, because Donald yeah. Logue is just like, you keep slicing me to pieces and I keep coming back, which, like, later on in the movie, he will be dealt with. Very simply, in a way that had me saying, why did he never do that before? Right. I feel like Donald Logue is the uh, coyote to Blade's Roadrunner in the sense that he doesn't, he Blade keeps him around because it's funny to watch him suffer. It is pretty funny. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he sets Donald Logue on fire. He grabs our hapless doofus and checks behind his ear, and he goes, you're unmarked. That means you don't belong to any of them. Then the cops show up, and with there's like 50 cops and 50 firemen. There's blood all over the place, a bunch of like ash and everything. They see a man covered in blood on the ground and a burning body screaming at them, and the cop just goes, all right, lock this place down. Yeah, <laughs> put him out. Put him, on, out. put him out. And that's it. That's yeah. it. Like, they have no reaction. Well, we do find out later that the the, the cops, uh, capital T, capital C, are under the control of the vampires. Which, that's like, right. yeah. holy shit, what a nightmare that must be for literally everybody involved. Yeah, if it, as, <laughs> right. if the cops, as if the cops weren't bad enough. Right. They're also, like, they're also probably, instead of just taking people to black sites, for shitty interroga- illegal interrogation, they're taking them to black sites to be eaten by vampires. <laughs> so we cut to the hospital because uh, it was written into law in the George H.W. Bush administration that every superhero movie have a scene in a hospital lab where someone looks through a microscope. You get That's it true. here. You get it in X-Men 1. You get it in Spider-Man. You get it in Ding Dang Daredevil. That's very true. I will say I'm going to give Blade credit for not doing... And, and this is, I think, because it, it it came before the Spider-Man and X-Men movies, is that it did not do the thing that those movies did where, like, you need an opening credit sequence? Well, guess what? It's just going to go through all the... The pathways of your nervous system. <laughs> With swooshy sounds. Yeah. Like, the, the comparatively, the opening credits for this movie are just like, Wesley Snipes, Stephen Dorff, Blade. Well, yep. what I do movie. miss about the, what I like about the opening credits on this that I've not seen in a very, very long time is they fuck with the production logo. The New Line Cinema logo is red instead of yeah. blue. Yes. And I really miss that. Like, you can't really fuck with the logos anymore. I mean, that's not true. I mean, what was it? They they do it in um, uh, Scott Pilgrim. They did it yeah, as recently. Yeah, that was 10 years ago, my bud. <laughs> they did it. They, I'm pretty sure they did it in Ready Player One as well. Did they? I don't. I, I have on purpose forgot as much of Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, that's Fair like point. it was moving Shut out as soon as it got in. my brain. It was a smart move. Yeah. You gotta oh, make boy. room for you gotta make room for all the Morrisons you're going to attack later. <laughs> That's true. I understand. Fucking be on your toes, Grant Morrison. <laughs> your JLA and your All Star Superman are real good, but I'll yeah. find something else to get mad at you about. Uh, your Animal Man was pretty unpe- unimpeachable as well. Uh, I really liked that. Uh, God, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. Nope. No, nope, nothing, nothing coming up. <laughs> did uh, he maybe? Did he maybe do like a bad Punisher comic? Uh, Warren Ellis did, but he's also a sex criminal, so That's we can't right. really Warren get Ellis. into that. Boy, it occurred to me as I was going through some of my old comics, uh, the entire Astonishing X Men run unrereadable because it started with Joss Whedon and it ended with Warren Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> That's All the, uh, 30 fucking issues are just like, well, into the memory hole with you, I guess. That's the one that uh, turned Beast into a cat man, right? No, that was actually Grant He's Morrison's new X-Men. He's a cat man! Cat, cat, doobity, bop, bop, scoopity, bop, 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 bop. 
See, that wow, was my very gone, clever. Yeah, we've gone very, well off the rails. Oh no! Very, no, that was a very clever parody of the song Scatman. Sure. But I said Catman because it's like Beast turned into a Catman. Sure. No, and I, we are I gotcha. so close to ending it. the blood rave. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's we the did. Thing. We're we in the hospital the, now. Oh yeah. If, okay. if we fully end the blood rave, then the prophecy of the twelve will be fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, when we finally get to what this fucking prophecy is and what the ritual entails, I was so annoyed. <laughs> it was so stupid. Uh, so we now go to uh, uh, the hospital, hospital, as you said. With and that there Mr. Burnup guy. We have a, yeah, we have a hematologist there, uh, Karen Jensen. Jensen, yep. And uh, she's played by Embouche uh, Wright. Um, and she is sort of like the audience surrogate for the movie up until a very specific point when out of nowhere, she suddenly knows everything about vampires. See, I actually, I really liked that because she, the, I have a lot of problems with David Goyer as a screenwriter. I think he is profoundly overrated, but I really enjoy this particular character from a screenplay perspective and a really good performance as well. Uh, it's the very performance charming. is awesome. But from a screenplay perspective, she is as ignorant as is absolutely necessary only for as long as absolutely necessary. That is true. She doesn't know... she. Yeah, she is, like, in the dark about all this stuff just long enough to ask the one or two questions that the audience needs to get the rules of these vampires. But she's never like, vampires? That's just a fairy tale. I don't believe in vampires. She's on board. She's like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, vampires are a thing. Uh, crosses? Do crosses? No, not on this. Not on these vampires. Do these vampires need to be invited into my home? No. Does it? Okay, cool. Garlic, silver, sunlight. Awesome. Great. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she and she gives a really great performance in this movie. Um, so she is uh, checking the blood sample of the burnt up, crispy Donald Logue body. And uh, it's weird. She turns to, to her. Yeah, least. she turns to her recently ex-boyfriend and is just like, "Is this another prank?" Which leads me to think that like <laughs> this dude is profoundly wasting the on-call hematologist's time every day. Yeah, like every day, like he's going out and being like, "All right, today I'm gonna trap an animal and take its blood and pass it off as a human's blood. That'll be funny, right?" <sighs> So she's like, this blood is weird. It's crazy. And then uh, her for her recently ex-boyfriend, the other like doctor or whatever, is like, hey, we should fuck again. And she's like, please leave me alone. We're done. Yeah. And he's like, nah, I'm going to be creepy about it. And she's like, get out of here. And then crispy Donald Logebody gets up screaming. And totally bites and murders that guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's he, pretty great. Uh, he bite, well, he bites both of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then Blade shows up and chases Crispy Donald Logue for a while, ends up cutting his arm off, uh, and then he escapes into the night. Yeah, because uh, Blade is interrupted by the police. Yeah, Whereupon and they, they, lead him, they lead him on a corridor chase uh, that culminates in... This happens twice in this fucking movie, but it gets set up here where Blade runs to the end of the corridor, sees that the only way of escape is to jump across the street onto the next rooftop, and he's like, well, I can't do it while I'm holding this woman. Light bulb idea. 
I will just throw her into the air. <laughs> right. I will throw her like a goddamn linebacker. Right. They throw things, I, right? That's how football no. goes. That's no, not, no goes. not even close. What I think is funny is that, like, yeah, he, he decides to save her even though she's been bit. Because I, I guess you can counteract vampirism if caught early well, and enough. And it, it, like, edits to show that, like, she reminds him of his mom. Yes. Yeah, but that was hilarious in a certain way. Because we're seeing this image of his mom while he's still inside her. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got, really he's got weird like, memory to have. He's got weird, uh, like, Princess Leia memory. Where she's like, I remember my mom a little bit, vaguely. Because I was alive <laughs> for exactly one hour before she died. <laughs> and she imprinted upon me like a bird. Right. <laughs> so he... Sh- he, uh, he saves her. He literally throws her a good 200 feet across a, like a, a four-lane street and also a good 150 feet down. Yeah, but she lands a- on one of those like awnings, one of those errant awnings that are just all over the rooftops of, I'm going to say, New York City? It's supposed to be New Orleans, I think. That can't be no, right. No, that can't be right. There's a point in the movie where Hit Whistler, I think, has a map, and it's a map of New Orleans. Well, that's just because he's, like, super into, what is it, the Vampire Diaries? Is that what takes place in New Orleans? No, uh, no, no. True it's, Blood. Uh, True, True Blood. Blood. There we go. Yeah, yeah he's a so big cute. Anna Paquin head. Yeah, <laughs> So he just wants to, when between seasons, he likes to seep himself in the culture so right. that he never has to truly let it go. True. I, and to be fair, I, 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 I don't know for sure if it's New Orleans. I don't think anyone knows what city this is. Uh, but I guess I didn't see anybody say who dem saints. So true. <laughs> true that makes sense. True. Yeah. Although I also did not see anybody walk in here. Also true. <laughs> Maybe it's just Detroit. Maybe, but there's a thriving Chinatown. Yeah. Also true. Maybe it's just like one of those. Just it's just city town. Yeah, <laughs> it's city dot text. <laughs> So yeah, he launches her across the street. She lands on what to me looked like a uh, uh, a pile of tires covered by a tarp. Right. Yeah. Um. But she then- lands. He evades the police by jumping across. <clears throat> they fire at them. They escape, and he brings her back to the old the old uh, honeycomb hideout where we meet his uh, his partner. Uh, Abraham Whistler, played by Chris Christopherson. Yep. The crankiest old long-haired man since, I don't know, Sam Elliott in fucking Roadhouse. Sam Elliott (laughs) in anything. Well, Sam Elliott doesn't always have long hair. That's why I wanted to point out Roadhouse. Yeah, that's true. And he is not really that cranky in Big Lebowski. Yeah, I was just going to say, he seems more genial in Big Lebowski. Because he's just weaving you a tale. But doesn't have long hair in that movie. True. It's yeah. the long hair and cranky that I'm talking That's the combination I'm talking about here. What about Sam Neill in Jurassic Park? Short Not hair. Not long hair enough. <laughs> yeah. Short hair, but definitely cranky. Yeah. That's but like, the crankiest man in the coolest hat in a movie in the yes, 90s. Yes, there you go. Yeah. I just I just wanted to bring up Sam Neill. That dude rules. Oh yeah, he's no, pretty he's great. The best. He's very remember cool. when he was Merlin on TV? That's right. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember years ago, a buddy of mine. So it must be my senior year of high school, 
And uh, for like our senior project, we had to do like one act plays, like produce and direct one act plays. And they had to be 30 minutes long at most. And almost everybody in the class was like, well, I'll just do an ad. I'll just do a sitcom episode because that's 30 minutes. Yep. And so my buddy William did uh, an episode, the episode of Friends, where it's like, I think it's the the one where everyone's like waiting. And it's the one where like Ross has like a That big, could like, actually be the for real title of a Friends episode because I know. they're all <laughs> named like that. And it's the one that takes place entirely within, uh, like, Rachel and Monica's apartment where Ross and Rachel are going to be going to some, like, dinosaur, like, dinner thing. And she's so taking forever is, is it's, to get they're ready. they're showing Plan 9 from Outer Space at the multiplex. And no. Jerry and his crew are <laughs> waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant. Right. No, John, that's the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld, and I know that because another person in my class did that episode. <laughs> I played some, George Costanza. Some fucking idiot tried to do a whole episode of MASH, and he didn't work out how we were going to cut from location to location. No, yeah. He just he had did. someone run by and yell, oh, we're in the field now. Uh, so, yeah, we did that Friends episode, but... He gave everybody a dubbed VHS cassette of uh, the episode so that you could watch it. And like, he's like, just do what they do. It was bad direction. <laughs> but he ran out of dubs, so he gave me his cassette from when he taped it off of TV. And his cassette started with the first two minutes of the Merlin series. Nice. And then it went. <laughs> and then Friends came on. And then when Friends was over, it went. <laughs> and the rest of Merlin played. <laughs> Incidentally, so he other paused sitcoms... Merlin, not the tape, but somehow the broadcast, so that oh, no, he no, no, could no. fit in Friends. Oh, no, no. He taped over that 25, 30 minutes of Merlin when it came back in gotcha. advanced okay. in the story. <laughs> right. I was lost. <laughs> Uh, other sitcoms that were done were an episode of News Radio, uh, sure. an episode of Frasier, yep. and an episode of uh, uh, Faulty Towers. Nice. Nice. Yeah. They weren't. No. And I, and I feel bad for every adult that came to support their children at every high school play ever in history. Yes. True fact. Absolutely facts. correct. I yeah. feel slightly worse for my high school drama teacher simply because he had to do the same thing of just like bring in a monologue, bring in a scene, do the monologue or do the scene. Blah, 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 blah. They're all terrible. But then that icy chill of the realization of shit, I'm going to have to fucking grade these things. <laughs> I can't just let them wash over me in a torrent of bad acting and poor decision-making and wildly inappropriate material. <laughs> I have to actually engage well enough that if I give this person a specific grade and they say, I think I should get a different grade, I'll be able to come back and say, here's my feedback about why you earned this grade. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I apologies to all the high school drama teachers out there too. Yeah, seems like a Who real rough, thankless job. No, nah, man, them. what you do is you get drunk before work and just slap A's <laughs> on everything. So here's the thing: I did run Patrick, into my Patrick, high school drama is, teacher hold on, I'm in sorry, a liquor I'm sorry. store. 
Uh, hold on, I just want to say, Patrick, that is not a drama teacher. That's a gym teacher covering <laughs> for the drama teacher that day. <laughs> it Jesus works just Christ. as well. Can we talk about how being a gym teacher is the easiest gig in the fucking world? No, it's not, John, because sometimes you have to teach history. Yeah, <laughs> social studies. But they don't expect you to do a good job. Yeah, That's but have true. you seen how bad Brandon is his soccer? It's insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the uh, counterpoint to that. I didn't say fucking soccer teacher. I said <laughs> gym teacher. I don't have to worry about taking my team to states. I don't need to worry about the actual performance of this sport. I need to just say, oh, we're doing baseball today. Everybody go to the baseball. <laughs> uh, I am unfamiliar with the rules of baseball. Well, we're playing baseball. Get up there. It's your turn at the bat. Quick question. How do I strike the ball with the bat in a way that sends it forward and not into my face? I don't know. We're playing baseball. Do baseball. Okay. So I came of age in the the late 80s, early 90s, which had a, at least in our uh, uh, period of time in our area, was the time of gym teachers just making up games to kill time. We had a game that we played called Mat Ball, which was indoor kickball, oh, where yeah. you had three different mats, and each mat was a base, and you could have as many people on a base <laughs> as you wanted uh-huh. at any given time. And to get people out, you either had to catch the ball like you know a regular out, or you could throw it at somebody's could face do dodge like ball. dodgeball. Yep. Buddy, um, I'm going to blow your mind. Nice. This, by the late 90s, early 2000s, had been solidified enough that we played Matt Ball. Oh, Jesus. With those exact rules. <laughs> All right, well, let me ask you this. Did you ever play Carpet Square Soccer? Yes, we did play Carpet Square Soccer. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, because one gym teacher got real drunk and said to another gym teacher at a different school, this job fucking rules. You know what I had these idiots do yesterday? <laughs> and that uh, that second gym teacher was like, that's a fucking genius way to kill 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, we also had a game, uh, a basketball type game, where you were, it was a cross between ultimate frisbee and basketball in the sense that uh, you have to go the full length of the court. You could not dribble the ball. You could only pass the ball. Uh, and you could not, like, go forward with the ball. You could go backwards, but not forward. Um, and it was called, like, it was called, like, no step, no dribble, <laughs> hoop ball or something like that. <laughs> and it would always yeah, start it was, off it was people... It was that 10% different enough that it wasn't infringing on any current <laughs> trademarks or copyrights. That's right. Yeah, j- the, the, the estate of Dr. James A. Naismith wasn't going to see <laughs> Larson Middle School. They, but when it was when he wrote those... it down on the syllabus, he put in parentheses, parody <laughs> yeah yeah but it was one of those games where like when the first five minutes everyone takes it super seriously tries to get as close to the basket for easy shots and then after that after like five minutes like no fuck that i'm only taking half court shots now I don't wanna, i'm not wasting my this time with this bullshit. <laughs> and then eventually like somebody would actually make a half court shot and everyone would freak out and the teacher would be like well we're not getting to get anything else done <laughs> 
<laughs> just do just do laps while I play the B-52s. <laughs> See, we did uh, square dancing for oh, a, we did whole that a lot. fucking month. Mm-hmm. Wow, you guys yeah. did square dancing? And line I'm, dancing. I'm the and only I'm, one of us that grew up in the South, and I played none of these games, nor did I learn to dance crappily to country music. Yeah, well, you were below the Mason-Dixon line. Information wasn't going to get through from the North. <laughs> it's true. We not boy, am I glad. You were we going to intercept only... all of our Pony Express? Uh, I almost <laughs> called them ships. You know what? Yeah, ships. Only... But... Would, I mean, they play line da- like modern country line dance music. They for played you? modern country line dance music, and at the end of the month, they got a real ass professional line dance caller to what? call the line dance. What? Yeah, that was square dance. Square dance. Square dance. Yes. Sorry. Line. Yeah. Line dancers don't have callers. I will say this in at my middle school because uh, I didn't do a lick. I didn't do one day of fucking gym in high school. <laughs> nice. Um, in middle school, we not only did square dancing and had like square dance calling, we also did line dancing, which included at the time popular songs such as the Macarena uh-huh. and <laughs> and the Cha Cha Slide. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, wow. see, uh, growing up in Central Pennsylvania, uh, they took square dancing very seriously, and they would not abide any like modern tomfoolery. These were classic. Square dance vinyl records. Jesus. I also want to take a moment and apologize. The Cha Cha Slide came out in the year 2000, and therefore I could not have done it in middle school. To do the electric slide? It was very likely the electric Electric slide, slide. and I misspoke. I remember my first like middle school dance that for some reason was mandatory to go to. They played the electric slide, and everybody knew the electric slide except for me. And I was like, well, this is what school's going to feel like forever. <laughs> so my best friend growing up, his parents taught country line dancing at like a class, like at the local community college. Yeah, like at the Y. No, at the local community college. It yeah, was like a college at the Y. Course. Nope, it was a college <laughs> course, baby. You got credit for that shit. No, it was like a nighttime class. So like every now and then, like on a Tuesday, we'd be hanging out. And like his parents would be like, we have to go teach line dancing. If you want to keep hanging out, you got to come with us to the line dancing. So the first bunch of times we went to the line dancing thing, they would just teach their class and me and my friend would go fuck off and like play around in the woods like you do. Yeah, sure. But as we got, as I got older. Sorry, I just, I do like that your community college was in the woods. No, it just had woods next to it for a period of time. They were promptly torn down and a golf course was put there. Nice. Uh, As God intended. Elgin, Illinois. (laughs) Where history goes to die. Um, (laughs) That's why, because James Garfield got shot there? (laughs) Probably on a Monday, am I right? Yep. Yep, yep, absolutely. So what happened eventually was as I got older, if they were like, if you want to come, you actually have to like join the class. Ah! Like you have to do at least one thing. And I remember I went one time and the song they were doing the dance, it was like a simple electric slide type dance, but not the electric side. But the song they were doing it to was Escape Club's Wild Wild West. <laughs> And it has, since that day, been ingrained in my brain as, like, this amazing song (laughs) that I immediately, when I first hear it, go, 
ugh, line dancing. But then afterward <laughs> I go, but there's gunshot sounds and whip noises, so it's okay. It's very true. Hey, you know what else has gunshot sounds and whip noises? <laughs> the movie Blade. We are, I want to say, we're 55 minutes into the recording and approximately eight minutes into the movie. <laughs> so Blade explains uh, to Hemophilia Doctor... Uh, the vampires are real. I hunt them. Um, this, this grumpy old man makes my gadgets. I got cool gadgets. Bye. Yeah. They, they, me, they, can, they, can I give you a ride somewhere, I guess? Whistler gives her like a, like a serum to, to, to stave off vampirism. They uh, explain- he, he gives her straight up garlic to inject into her neck. Yeah, That's no, right. it's uh, he pulls it out of one of them Papa John's garlic butter things and just shoots it right in there. <laughs> then he true. has her bite down of- on a pepperoncini, and she's practically cured. Yeah, in the event of uh, like mass vampirism, much in the same way that we open up sports stadiums in times of like climate disaster, we open up all of the Olive Gardens and Papa John's. Yeah, yeah. the safest place to be. Definitely. Uh, speaking of which, you guys hear that Papa John has spent the last 18 months trying to get the oh, N-word boy. out of his vocabulary? Like 20, he's going to rehab. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Buddy, uh, here's the thing. I am now offering you a service, Mr. John. Contact me, and for the low, low price of, I'm going to say, $25,000, I will demonstrate to you how to not say the N-word. <laughs> In yeah, my patented, it's... my patented one-step process of just don't say the N word. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he he went on TV and he touted that he as some kind about of it. fucking miracle. In the same way that Christian Bale talks about putting on weight to play Batman, <laughs> this guy's like, "Oh, it's been real tough. Some days I don't know if I can make it." <laughs> He's, I get yeah, the he's, shakes occasionally. It's rough. Oh, I got to go down to lesser slurs to try to like <laughs> ease my fall. That's the like like how cigarettes are for addicts. Like they smoke cigarettes yeah, exactly. instead of drinking or doing things. Like for, for instead of saying the n word, he's using like the s word or whatever, <laughs> just in case. It's like a less for him. It's a lesser slur. All slurs are bad. They're all bad. Yeah. And I feel like what we're gonna happen is somehow Papa John Schnatter is gonna get himself back in the public eye. He's gonna somehow weasel his way back into the Papa John's pizza family, and then he's gonna be like, "Okay, I promise you, I won't say the n word." anymore but here's a series of derogatory slurs about hispanic people <laughs> and well he has to work to get those out over yeah. again yeah it's the circle of life also fuck papa john and fuck papa john's pizza their pizza's bad i mean yeah yeah you know i liked it a lot until i worked there and ate it all the time and then not so much Everybody it's likes good. Papa it's, John's. Everybody it, likes Papa John's the first time they have it yeah. if they've never had any other pizza. Well, I'll say though, like it was better than the Domino's before Domino's like tried to make less shitty pizza. Yeah, but Patrick, you grew up in the South where pizza is anathema to your way of life. It's <laughs> not actually true. We had a great restaurant that because it was in the South made a big thing about how they were run by real Italians. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Patrick. The uh, but the pizza thing, was really good. <laughs> the closest thing I've ever gotten to getting pizza in the South was in West Virginia. 
Oh, uh, that's the girl a bad I was plan. dating at the time took me to a pizza restaurant where you buy the pizza and it's not frozen, but it's definitely not cooked. Oh. And you take it home and you cook it yourself. Oh. Did like you go a to goddamn animal? <laughs> Patrick yeah. or John, did you go to a Papa Murphy's? Yes. Yeah. So we okay, so Papa Murphy's, we had one of those in West Dundee. It was shared a building with the Starbucks that D worked at when she first moved here. Papa Murphy's was a weird takeout pizza place where they would not cook the pizzas on premises no yeah. matter how much you asked for. It was a take and bake takeout pizza. Because chain. one guy bought what he thought was a restaurant space only to find out that the oven didn't work. And he said, you know what? We'll make it work. Oh, you mean you'll repair the oven and make it operate correctly? No. We'll make this idea work. <laughs> what if we make our customers work? Brilliant. Yeah, so the best part about Papa Murphy's was when you ordered a pizza, you could get a side, and their two sides were breadsticks for $5, or also for $5, bucket of cookie dough. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a half-gallon bucket of just raw cookie dough that you'd have to scoop out yourself. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was rough. It was real rough. Uh, I felt yeah, that a little. Terrible. I felt a little ripped off because we yeah. were doing. We met in. We were dating in college, and like for semester breaks, we would go to each other's respective homes. She lived in West Virginia, and I lived in Central Pennsylvania. So when she came to visit me, I was like, "All right, cool. I'll show you all the like local garbage food that we eat here." And I took her to Nito Burrito, which is just a really like above Chipotle in quality, but not like great by any means mission-style burrito place, and it's perfectly delicious, and it's real good, and it's exactly what you expect it to be when you go in and you order your burrito. And then she took me to this fucking low-rent bullshit. <laughs> uh, we did 80% of the work for you. You do the rest at home, please. It, John, it will not surprise you that Papa Murphy's last name? Morrison. No! <laughs> So anyways, uh, I looked up Grant Morrison to find out if there was anything that I have read of his that I did not like, and I should not have said his, because they have come out as non-binary. Oh, I had no idea! Yeah, neither did I. So we'll go back and edit all the pronouns, or just put a disclaimer that we literally found out live on this podcast. Yeah, Wait, no that kidding. That was the I case had no, of Grant Morrison. I had no oh, clue. Good Grant for Grant Morrison. Morrison. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be like, Papa Murphy? <laughs> ah, good for them. Yeah, we're going to have a huge disclaimer about slagging Papa Murphy's at the front. <laughs> now, um, even if Papa Murphy was non-binary, uh, their pizza still fell, falls on the good-bad binary on the bad true. side. <laughs> okay, so Blade, uh, uh, after Whistler gives her uh, uh, gives Karen the Some garlic fucking garlic injection. butter to put in her neck. They, they take do her explain home and drop her off in her apartment. <laughs> yeah, they just drop her off at home. And then when she gets there, there's a cop, and he's like, hey, don't worry, I'm just a cop. There's nothing scary about a white cop, cop being a person of color's apartment waiting for you, is well, there? Well, he says the two red flags of, well, the front door was open. <laughs> like, that fucking excuses just going into this woman's apartment. And the second of, I'm just here on a routine check. Yeah. yeah. Then he immediately begins to assault her, uh, but then who should show up but Blade? And it turns out Blade was using her as bait. 
uh, and he beats up the uh, uh, this guy who turns out to be a vampire's familiar, specifically Deacon Frost's familiar. Yeah, and he's got a trunk full of blood, and Blade wants to know where he's going with it. Yeah. Also, there's a scene here where we meet like Deacon Frost for reals, and he has like a uh, there's like a council of vampires. One of them is Udo Kier, who plays Dragonetti. <laughs> yeah. And, and by Council of Vampires, what we really mean is Council of Old Looking European Guys. Uh, old look, 11 old looking European guys and one Orson Welles. Yes. <laughs> There's yeah. one, one of the vampire guys looks like Orson Welles. But he looks like Orson Welles in the Paul Masson wine commercials, yeah. the outtakes. Yeah. With, like, the big beard and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's yeah, a, a very specific vampire. choice. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, Deacon Frost, it turns out, was not born a vampire. He was turned into a vampire. Uh, and everyone, like, gives him shit about it. And he brings yes. up the very good point of, why does it matter? I'm still a vampire. I also, wear ridiculously huge collars on all of my open button-up <laughs> shirts, just like everybody else in this council. Also, I thought it was interesting that they decided to make like a, a demarcation, like like the culture of vampires, that born vampires rank higher than made vampires, when vampires are traditionally undead and therefore cannot conceive children. But in this sure. world, I guess vampires fuck and have babies? Yeah, that's, yeah, well, that's uh, a you, great you, question, right? Uh, yeah, you you go through the ditches, you burn all the witches, no. you slam in the back of your Dragula, and nine months later, the stork brings a new baby brother. No, I'm not yeah. buying this. No. no. Robert Zombie was very clear about how new vampires are made. No, John, he was very clear about how the monster's automobile was born. <laughs> and it turns out it's the same process. <laughs> That's just uh, how science works. Fair enough. So anyways, Deacon Frost's whole thing is that, like, the fucking young are going to take over, old man. You can't stop the renegades, and the mavericks, from taking over the vampires. And his big evil plan is to run a computer program to <laughs> auto-translate some old runes. And I love how the promise of what computers would be like in the like late 80s, early 90s is a dream unfulfilled. Yeah. Because I fucking love how every computer is just a magic, like, oh, we need to show you this spreadsheet. But why show you when you can experience the spreadsheet <laughs> with 3D graphics and whooshy sound effects? Yeah, every chat room in the 90s in movies on computers was an actual physical coffee shop that yeah. you could put glasses on and walk into and talk with everybody. Yeah. Well, like files whooshed above your head and stuff like that. It's the Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but not full of fucking bullshit nostalgia. It was the Oasis, but for today. Right. So anyway, so, yeah, Deacon's just like, I'm translating old text. And the old vampires are like, we already tried to do that. You can't. It's untranslatable. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He translates it. <laughs> yeah. It turns out it turns out the missing key in it was computers. Yeah. <laughs> 
which yeah, is funny is... because it, which is funny because like assuming I you assume these vampires live a very long time, and there's some old vampires here, so you got to presume that some of them date back to like the 1800s or something. They live through like the Apollo era when there were giant room-sized supercomputers. You're telling me Udo Kier didn't show up at NASA with his little runes and go, "Excuse me, the hidden figures, translate these for me." Here's here's the thing. I'm I sorry, love about we can't this. do that. We're too busy having weird blood sex magic to power these rockets. That wasn't the hidden figures, John. That was Jack Parsons at his weird sex magic house. He's not wrong. The part I love about this is uh, we have this interchange about how it's an ancient language. The vampires don't you don't even know it. Deacon Frost has to run a whole crazy computer program to understand it. However, later in the film, a chunk of the book that we are translating gets handed by Blade to Chris Christopherson, and he's like, bah, something about the blood god and the twelve. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're like, what? Oh, we'll get to the fucking vampire Bible later in this movie. Oh, oh. man. I mean, look, we're we're an hour and eight minutes in right now. We don't necessarily have to like get every moment of this movie. Uh, what happens next is Blade fucks up some more vampires, I think. Yeah, and he goes to a club where yeah, we go to the club. it's full of uh, Asian men watching Asian women in uh, stereotypical Asian schoolgirl outfits do rap music, and the yes. whole thing feels very racist. Oh, yeah, and super it, weird. Well, it yeah. was 1998, John. That's true. Yeah, they that definitely say it was... inarguably true. Yeah, and to that effect, it has 1998 sound balancing, so I watched this movie with the closed captioning on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, because every piece of music is full volume. Every piece of dialogue is mumbled under the edge. Yeah, right. Music and gunshots are like... 20 feet away. (laughs) Well, John, if it's not heavy bass or a sample from an old horror movie, it's not worth hearing. That's true. I will say something that I really liked about this movie that I miss a lot in modern action movies. The squib work is on point. Even in modern action movies, even if, like, Marvel does, like, a Captain America movie and Captain America has a gun and he uses that gun to shoot up some Hydra Nazis, but everyone just sort of, like, falls down like an old 1950s Western. There's no, like, puffs of debris or, like, smoke or explosions from it. Yeah, Would and that if they probably do, push you to an R rating? Like, is that probably why? I think if there's Maybe. too much blood, but I think a lot of times they just use digital blood and they don't make it as big because digital blood looks like shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember uh, Equilibrium, the director was just like, oh, we were going to get an R rating, but then we turned all the red blood into, like, dust instead, like in Mortal Kombat 1 for the Super Nintendo. So, like, sure. I think you can see, like detritus come out from a person as long as it's not red sure (laughs) but like even even the shots that like miss people that like hit parts of the scenery there's those really satisfying like squib explosions and stuff like that and you just don't see that a lot in modern movies and i really miss it i agree and like one of the things in this movie is that blade blade has like all he's got his weapons he's got a sword his little crawl boomerang he's got a gun that shoots silver stakes he also just has a straight up Mac 11 with regular yes. ass bullets in it that he Correct. uses just to shoot indiscriminately wherever he wants. Right. So Blade is interrogating, uh, or they're, they're, uh, uh, Blade and Blood Doctor are staking out the cop's car, and she's like, 
well, he's never going to come back. He wouldn't be stupid enough to do that. And he's like, no, he's exactly stupid enough to do that. Uh, I like that they're eating Chinese takeout. So yes. at some point, Blade was just like, oh, okay. Could get you anything? You hungry? <laughs> I don't need to eat for reasons you'll find out later, but for you, there's a good low main place, just a couple blocks. <laughs> uh, yeah, and fucking cop shows up and uh, leads Blade on Jesus Christ, just the worst car chase I think yeah. <laughs> it's I've a ever seen in my life. And this is how we get just to like the, the fucking- club with the Asian man. Yeah, it's like yes. the crow car chase. It's just except slow. the crow car chase. It, it, it was shot. It, like it couldn't go very far because it was clearly shot indoors on sets. But they would at least do wide shots of the cars. This is all close up of Wesley Snipes with bad <laughs> rear projection, and you just shake the camera a whole bunch. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's not a great car chase. Mm. Yeah, we make it to the club, the racist club. Uh, Blade goes in the back and grabs uh, 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 fucking Renfield cop and is just like, where is it? And he's like, it's in the freezer. Are you sure? Yeah. Check the refrigerator. Which, friend, those are two different things. Right. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, he opens the freezer and he finds out a hidden compartment to uh, the blob from the X-Men movies. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it's uh, His name is Pearl. That can't be yeah, right. Yeah. But isn't nope. it an X-Men where there's like a big blob that sits on like a mechanical thing to walk around like Alice from Spider-Man? Arcade. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he is... And they would steal that design for the humans in WALL-E. Correct. <laughs> Very much correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Arcade, who we go His to whole thing is to trap the X-Men into very complicated VR traps. Fancy. End yes. of story. <laughs> End of this that is, story yeah. for an this X-Men is a, character. A morbidly obese man who is a vampire who is like their like man in the chair, but is just like man on like in itself. It's uh for I was reading the IMDB trivia and apparently the suit itself required four puppeteers to operate. <laughs> uh one for the head, two one for each arm and two for each leg. And um and it, the the latex skin that they used to make Pearl's giant flabby body weighed seven hundred pounds. Good lord! Nice. Yeah, he's he's the job of the hut figure, where he is like incredibly powerful just because like information comes to him. Yeah. Uh, so they shine but a it UV talks like this. Yeah, it's super annoying. I fucking hated this character. <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, they shine a UV uh, flashlight on him to, like, burn him to try to get information out of him. And they see that he is watching on his computer screen that Deacon Frost has decoded the magic words and it unlocked a fucking MPEG of, a, like, 3D <laughs> render of the this uh, prophecy where it's the 12 come together and then the blood god shows up and, like... That's not what happens in this movie. <laughs> Everybody talks about the prophecy and says a different thing that the prophecy says is going to happen. At first, it's just like, well, the blood god will come, and that'll be like a vampire apocalypse. Then later, Deacon's like, well, we'll do the ceremony of the Twelve, and then it'll be like a big natural disaster where everyone in the world gets turned into a vampire. Then we actually get to the fucking thing. They do the ritual of the Twelve. Blood falls on Stephen Dorff, and he's just like, now I'm made of blood. So 
that is because the original ending of the movie was exactly that. They do the thing, Steven Dorff turns into the giant blood monster and it washes over the world and everybody turns into a vampire setting up a sequel where Blade and Karen go around the world killing all the vampires. But it tested so poorly <laughs> that they reshot the movie and added that big old sword fight at the end and added the whole thing where Deacon Frost like becomes possessed with the power of, uh, I think it's Lamagra is the name Lamagra. of the blood god. Yeah. Um, and they totally changed the ending. But I don't. But the problem was they didn't bother to go back and change any of the preceding hour and yes. thirty minutes before that. Correct. So for the first hour and thirty minutes, everyone is like, "Here's what's gonna happen: a giant mountain of blood <laughs> is gonna come out and wash over humanity." I guarantee it. That's what's gonna happen. And then when it doesn't happen, it's literally a small drop of blood lands on Stephen Dorr's forehead, and then he goes. I'm Lamagra now. <laughs> yep. Well, he gets some skeletons all up inside him too. Oh my and god, that's we'll how get he there. Gets to be Lamagra. We'll get there. But anyway, he's just like, uh, "Hey, weird flesh pile, uh, what's behind this sealed door?" And he says, "Nothing. Don't worry about it." So Blade explodes the door, and here we get giant full-size pages of the Vampire Bible encased <laughs> in glass. And when I say full-size, I mean like a good like. 11 by 13. Like, these are big sheets of paper. They're scroll pages. And uh, Blade is just, uh, uh, Blood Doctor is just like, what are these? Blade says, oh, this is the Book of the Vampire. This is their Bible. Then vampires come in and start just, like, fucking up all the pages like it's nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They don't give a shit about it. There's a big fight scene uh, where burnt-up Crispy Man is back, and he's all healed up, and he's just like, Ha-ha, Blade, our tango of death continues. Now it's my turn to lead. Uh, And he stabs him to a pillar and is just like, I'm going to do to you what you keep doing to me. I'm going to cut you all up a whole bunch. And Blade starts to laugh, and he's like, Hey, what's so funny, friend? And Blade's like, I got backup, and here's where we get fucking... Grumpy ass Chris Christopherson just slugging his way in with a bag of explosives and a giant shotgun. Yeah, he breaks in. He's I love one of the things I love about Chris Christopherson is he is completely unaware of the kind of movie he's in because yeah. he oh, yeah. gives he plays <clears throat> Whistler giving it his all to the point where like they shackle him in this weird stupid like leg brace thing for no goddamn reason and he fucking he lives that shit man. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's so there's committed a scene to of him it. polishing the buckles yeah of his weird leg brace that you know he asked a PA to go get him some fucking metal polish for it. <laughs> yeah, he asked Joe Pesci to grab a shine box for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then they play that Donovan song, and he shoots up the place, and it's great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Whistler and uh, 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 Karen and Blade escape the vampires, and they make their way into a subway tunnel just as a train passes by. There's, like, a little bit of a fight, but basically what it all boils down to is Blade, Whistler, like, like just disappear he sets an explosive it blows up the the place he disappears the girl's like where's whistler and blade goes fuck him who cares let's jump on the speeding train <laughs> let's not jump on this speeding train let's wait for it to pass us and i'll grab the back of it and fling yeah. us into the train yeah and the um, most unbelievable thing 
Not a single person is in that train. Bullshit. <laughs> Trains are never that empty. That if is they true. are, there's something deeply wrong with that train car. Anytime I've ever gone onto a train car and there's nobody on it, it's either extraordinarily late at night or somebody has taken a gigantic diarrhea shit on it. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it smells so bad that you cannot bear to be on it because it's a biohazard now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually uh, the case. Blade humps down and he's just like, get away from me. I need my serum. And she's like, I don't understand what's going on. And he's like, look, I'm half a vampire. I got all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses, but I did get their thirst. So I use this serum to like suppress that so that I can go on being Blade. And I'm trying to find a cure. And every time I kill a vampire, I hope against hope that the next leap is the leap home. <laughs> Blade never made it home. <laughs> yep. What a fucking depressing ending to that series. Dude, they could have easily said, then he arrived back into his present and all was well. But no, the fact that they say, Al is really sad because of Vietnam, and also the doctor never made it back. It, and, and, and that's the thing, is it doesn't end with somebody saying that. It ends with a title card that says, Dr. Samuel Beckett misspelled yeah never leapt home yeah. <laughs> and that's it yeah it's really fucked up uh but anyway so they get back to the fucking hideout uh i can't remember what happens to blade so she he gets his his serum uh and then uh she has developed a new weapon she's trying to find a cure for blade but instead yeah, yeah, she finds out that there's this like Compound, it's like EDTA or something like that. That's a like blood coagulant, and yeah, it doesn't and it'll work. Blow up a vampire blood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he says, uh, "That's not much of a cure." And she says, "I wasn't making it a cure," which is just like, friend, maybe I haven't articulated how much of a time scale that we're on right now, but it's getting <laughs> harder and harder for me not to just. Be a vampire all the time. Yes. So if we can maybe put the pet projects on the back burner and really focus in on this cure. Yeah, there is a, ti- a ticking clock in the movie that the serum that Blade is using uh, is becoming less and less effective as he uses it at holding back the hunger. So he, Whistler has to keep upping the dose. Yeah. Uh, Blade goes to Chinatown uh, for reasons I don't fully remember, but who should he run into but Stephen Dorff holding a kid hostage. True facts. Yeah, uh, and this scene, this is actually one of the first scenes Stephen Dorff filmed for the movie. Again, I was reading the IMDb trivia, and apparently this scene, um, Wesley Snipes was not too happy initially with Stephen Dorff's performance in the film. And they got into like kind of a, a of a tussle, like a fight, like on set, not like physical, but like mm. yelling at each other, uh, until leading to uh, this the way they eventually shot it. And I gotta say, like this is probably my favorite like dialogue scene of the movie. Like oh, yeah. I love like how he walks up. Like it's so weird because like Blade's just standing there and he hears 
Blade. And then he looks across the street, and Deacon <laughs> Frost has whispered across five lanes of busy traffic. Right. Well, and at no point will pedestrians stop walking between these two guys having a very intense argument with a hostage. And right. there's a point where Blade pulls his Mac 11, and literally nobody goes, oh no, a gun. They just right. continue on their way. But yeah, they, they have a scene, and uh, I didn't... Uh, yeah, now that you bring it up, I noticed that, oh, at no point do Stephen Dorff and Wesley Snipes share the screen in this dialogue sequence. Yeah. It is shot-reverse shot the whole way. I love, though, that that Steve, like that Deacon Frost, you know, Stephen Dorff's performance, when they finally get a chance to, like, come face-to-face, he's like, Blade, big fan. I know yeah. everything about you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this is the typical, like, hey, join me on the dark side. All these people are just cattle. You come with me and we'll live forever. Uh, and he says, no, how about I shoot you a whole bunch instead? And he does a pre-matrix bullet time face dodge of three bullets. Yes. Then he, this is the second time, this is Chekhov's <laughs> flying girl. If you show a girl flying in Act 1, you got to show another one flying in Act 2. Deacon throws the girl at Blade and runs. Blade catches the girl and then just throws her into the street. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. He can keep shooting Deacon. Blade's throat, the girl goes into like a popcorn stand, and then Blade has to run and save her from getting hit by a city bus. Well, he saves her from the city bus, but he definitely, like, she gets thrown into the street. No, oh, yeah, yeah. So Deacon sure that happens. Deacon Frost picks that? her up. Deacon Frost picks her up. He throws her through a newsstand that's, that's made of what it is. It's yeah, made of okay. glass. She lands in the middle of the street just as a, a bus is about to hit her. Blaze saves her. Throw, pushes her away. Yeah. and keeps <laughs> shooting at Deacon Frost as he escapes into the park. That's what it is. Yeah, it it's was bananas. It was, it's, all of a lot of the action is shot in very very quick cuts, which leads to some like just spatial confusion for me because I'm yeah. a dum dum who can't and keep they up show all the fast her editing. like flying past Blade as he's turning around. Yeah, that's what it is. Like Somehow in my head, her, I like yeah. edited in an extra beat where he like catches her and throws her in the street <laughs> sure. to shoot at Deacon. Now I'll say, John. Now that the director of this movie, Stephen Norrington, is not a great director. His only other big movie of note and his last movie. Is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. That's amazing. Uh, so that'll do that. He was offered to direct Blade 2, but turned it down, uh, which is how we got the Superior Blade 2, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Correct. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so at some point in this, Deacon also uh, catches one of the 12 and puts him in front of a sunrise and is just like, I'm going to kill you because I already figured out the prophecy and I don't need you anymore, I guess. Yep. Uh, and then he shows up at the vampire boardroom and is just, I need 12 people to help me with this prophecy. And they say, all right, I guess I no, guess no, you're no. in charge. He says, I need 12 volunteers, but it's implied, especially from the later scenes, that what really happens is his goons arrest the board. Yes, that's <laughs> like, right. They all yeah, get kidnapped. The, it, it, the, storm fin- the storm finally comes. <laughs> oh no! And all vampire the are arrested. <laughs> vampire yeah. Q was right. <laughs> I would be a little more amenable to the QAnon conspiracies if they involved 
Because they're almost there. They do say that these politicians do drink children's blood, but they stop just short of calling them actual vampires. Yeah. If, if they the- could just make that last little leap, it would at least be like mythologically coherent, but they swerve at the very end and it's like, and these blood-sucking evil politicians are all, say it with me now, shape-shifting lizards. Oh, buddy. (laughs) You zigged when you should have just kept going. You were so close. (sighs) And that is the one and exactly only one problem with the QAnon conspiracies. Well, we all know you're a huge fan of shitty Viking cosplay. <laughs> Look, I just love Scott Bayo, and I'll follow him wherever he leads. Uh, so, rest in peace, Jay Johnson. Yeah, well, Jay Johnson didn't die. His career did. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He is dead to me. Sure, Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to the Bob's Burgers where Jimmy Pesto fucking protests in front of Bob's. Jimmy Pesto now played by James Adomian or something. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Blade goes back to the hideout. um, And at, oh no, sorry. The vampires attack the hideout. Steven Dorff shows up and fucks up Whistler and kidnaps Blood Doctor. Then Blade shows up too late to do anything. Whistler is bleeding out, and Blade gets one he's moist been towelette. Whistler yeah. has been bit. And Blade takes out one moist towelette and starts just brushing away at his <laughs> neck. Right. And like I he can't just believe... got back from a famous Dave's. <laughs> exactly. And at no point, because like, uh, uh, Whistler is just like, look, I, here's what happened. They took her here. It's obviously a trap, but you got to go because they're going to kill her. And she's an innocent and she's real close to a cure, I'll bet, probably. Blade, stop stop touching me with that. It's not going to help. Stop it. You're not. You're rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic. Just give me a gun and let me shoot myself. No, I'm not going to give you a gun and let you shoot. Blade, (laughs) look at me. Look at me, Blade. Get the gun. I'm not going to get the gun. Blade, we have been over this. The fact that like the the dude Whistler who has like he is deeply paranoid about ever becoming a vampire because his family was killed by a vampire, you think he would have a like no fault self execution thing set up where no one has to give him a gun? Sure. Like some kind of like uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse kind of like Rube Goldberg contraption where it's just like, oh, I've been Brit. Break the glass and it dumps some baking soda into some vinegar that inflates a balloon that pops a dart that fucking cuts my head off with an axe, I guess. Or maybe he just has like a more than one gun lying around? <laughs> no. He makes the weapons. He can't keep the weapons. He's like an ancient Greek muse where he can come up with the idea, but he can't sure. have it, you know? Of course. It's, it's his fatal flaw as a character. He can create these weapons, but he just, like, every time he touches it, it's like, ow, ooh. It's like it's a little too hot. <laughs> we know that's not true. We see him with the machine gun early in the movie just shooting at vampires. Yeah, true. but... And the shotgun. He, he didn't make those. Ooh, that's fair. He bought them on his way. Okay. Yeah. He stopped off at a, at a gun 11. Those are Kalishnikov <laughs> sure. brand Kalishnikovs. Because <laughs> this was this was pre-9-11 where you could just get a gun anywhere. Hell yeah, yeah man. The You mean the good old days? <laughs> oh, no. 
There used uh, to so be yeah. a place. There used to be a place in West Dundee. Uh, it might even still be there. It was called GAT, and it stood for <laughs> it stood for guns, ammo, tackle, and it was yeah. a it was a uh, guns and a ammo. Sp- no, no, it is a sporting good store. Nah, buddy, nah. They didn't even give a shit. They were like, nope. This is no, a guns no. and ammo store that no. also happens to sell live bait, and that's there. It. You go there. The re- the fact that it has live bait. So they could say, it's a sporting goods store. Look at the live bait. John, I'm going to tell you right now, the words sporting goods were nowhere on their signs. <laughs> but I'll bet they were all over their tax files. <laughs> I don't know. They also had a shooting range. <laughs> a sporting uh, range. No, those were just cans that happened to be set up on the fence in the back for no reason. To be fair, those cans had it coming. Yeah, that's true. They were gonna get you. <laughs> they were coming right for you. Yeah, that can pulled the knife. You saw it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so Blade has to go to the fuck mansion of one <laughs> Deacon Frost because yeah. every time we go to the first off, two things about this fuck mansion. Number one. It's got a bed that is like that, like closes. Yeah, it's not a like coffin a coffin, bed. but like from the ceiling. It's, it's not on a hinge. It descends. It's, it's Darth a fancy Vader's coffin bed. It's like Darth Vader's like egg, like communication yeah. regeneration egg. But yeah. instead, it is a. It's like a square. It's like a sandwich. Like yes. the top piece of bread raises off it <laughs> to reveal the delicious meat inside. Uh, but the second thing about this fuck mansion is on the roof of this fuck mansion, there's one of those pools, but it's like a pool that goes right up to the edge of the building and then go, and then has like a little waterfall. Right. And someone gets shot and falls into that pool, but nobody ever follows through and falls out of that pool. No. And I was real disappointed. So Missed Blade- opportunity. <laughs> so Blade shows up. Uh, to like fuck shit up, and one of the things I love about this, there's a really quick scene between Donald Logue and Stephen Dorff, where he's like, "Blades coming," and and Donald Logue, the whole movie is just like, "Oh man, fucking- I saw him kill twenty people, man. He's gonna get out his blades. He's gonna fuck them up." And I love that, like he does that. He's just like, "Man, he's got this thing. He throws at you or whatever." And then Stephen Dorff gets, he matches his excitement. He's like, "Oh, with the sword and the thing, and it is shut the fuck up, <laughs> go fight I him." Really like Stephen Dorff's performance in this whole section of the movie because he's just, uh, "I told you to take Blade alive. Why do I hear gunfire?" <laughs> yeah. I what I love about Stephen Dorff in this movie is up until he becomes Blood God. He's super casual about everything, and I love a yeah. casual bad guy. He's yeah. casual, but also just slightly foppish. Yes. You know? Yeah. So Blade shows up, and he does Blade things. He's fucking up vampires. Um, uh, until- he seems to play a game of cat and mouse with the uh, security staff by revving his motorcycle engine <laughs> in different parts of this, like, glass entryway. Yeah. Yes, until eventually, just like Meatloaf in Bat Out of Hell, <laughs> soars into the fuck mansion um, and begins like laying waste to all these guys. So he uses his guns and his sword for a little bit. Then he gets into like a kung fu fight with two vampires. With two lady he, vampires. He dispatches them with his brand new injectable thing. And I love, yeah. 
I love the effect this injectable has on the vampires. Because oh, he yeah, stabs them, it. and then they turn into garbage pail kids, and yeah. then explode. <laughs> and I think the, the design of it is really, really good. The flaw with this movie is that this movie doesn't have the best CGI, because CGI was still like in a very nascent stage. And it does a really great job of using it pretty sparingly and cutting away from it almost immediately. So, so you just get like quick images. But with this particular one, he stabs them. It cuts to the shots of their CGI heads getting really bubbly. And it's like, oh, man, if it just cuts away to an explosion off screen, this would be perfect. But it keeps cutting back to the bad CGI faces. Yes. <laughs> and then gets and it's the just explosion. real rough. Yeah, this the finale of this movie is filled with some pretty egregiously bad CG. Yeah. And yeah. we're just now this is post Jurassic Park and uh like a year before the Phantom Menace. Yeah, so, this is Phantom Menace is ninety nine. Matrix is what, two thousand? I think no. also ninety nine. First yeah. Matrix is a nineties. Yeah, yeah, they're both ninety nine. So, so yeah, like, we hadn't had those like big like watershed, you know, like Here's how you do yeah. CGI kind well, of movies. And also, like, the, the I think the the budget for the first Blade movie, compared to most, like, superhero movies that happen now, it was relatively low. Yeah, uh, they do they do the best with what they've got. It's just artistically, sometimes, they cut back to the bad CGI when they didn't need to. Right. Like they the budget, thought it was good. Just like how you felt <laughs> about true. Quake. Like the uh, the budget uh, for buddy, the first. Hold on, hold on, Patrick, you shut the fuck up. Quake owns. <laughs> now, granted, Quake Two is better, and Quake Three is where it goes off the rails. But Quake One fucking rules. <laughs> there is a goddamn underground Mayan pyramid in the game, and it's cool as hell. <laughs> yeah, sure, John. Whatever Buddy, you say. You could get a rocket launcher. You could jump. You could point that rocket launcher at the ground. You could fire that rocket launcher. That rocket launcher would fire a rocket. That rocket would hit the ground. That explosion would fling you across the level. <laughs> uh, God damn. So the uh, Quake the is budget. so uh, quick as. I'm so mad at you, Patrick. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, so the budget for the first Blade movie is only uh, forty five million, so pretty low yeah. for like yeah. a big event picture like this. Yeah, um, they're doing the best with what they got exactly. for sure. Uh, so yeah, Blade gets up also, to the top. I've I've never played Quake, so meh. <laughs> uh, despite Patrick's blasphemy, it's very good. I bet it's a piece of shit. I will fight you both. No, you won't. No, not until you get vaccinated. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> when we can fight both safely. Yeah, I'm sa- <laughs> I- I'm safe until the end of May, baby. Yes. Uh, so Blade gets up to the top of the fuck mansion, and he gets inside Steven Dorff's secret room, and he opens up the secret coffin, and who should be in that secret his coffin? Mom! Holy shit! It's his mom, and she's weirdly sexual towards him. Weirdly. She, she spends a large amount of time almost kissing him. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. In this uh, scene Steven and Dorf, later. Yeah, Stephen Dorff shows up with a bunch of guys with fucking cattle prods. Yeah. And they are just electrocuting Blade. They and this is probably submission. This is my favorite Stephen Dorff performance in the movie where he's just like, 
I went to all this trouble to get your mother and you reunited, and this is how you behave? <laughs> it's real good. Uh, what I hate about this scene is they do uh, fucking Tim Burton 1988-89 Batman, where it's just like, I bit your mother. It was me, Stephen Dorff, which is just making the villain in the first movie turn out to be responsible for creating the hero is such a lazy, trite, boring turn. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not great, but it's a very David Goyer thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like no, everything has to tie into everything else. Like you thought we were done with stupid fuck doctor? Nah. Stupid fuck doctor is coming back. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's what I love. I do love what I love about that is like they're just like, man, he didn't even turn into a vampire. He turned into some weird zombie. Man, that happens sometimes. <laughs> right. And I, yeah. I do appreciate that, that in the vampire lore in this world, that sometimes when you bite somebody to turn them into a vampire, it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, you, you flip a coin. Uh, um, but yeah, Blade gets kidnapped off and brought to the temple where they're going to do this ceremony where they got to put Blade into a foam sandwich. They put him into carbonite. Yeah. yeah. But carbonite that has... That has fucking, uh, like, blade wrists, like, wrist straps that are blades. Because they need to drain his blood so that it can drop on the heads of each of the pure blood vampires. So that eventually blood can drop on Steven Dorff and Steven Dorff can get made out of blood. Well, no, no, the blood has to drop on the vampires and then the blood has to drop on Steven Dorff and then the lightning has to strike the temple and then yep, he right. can drive the DeLorean fast enough to get back to 1959. <laughs> but in actuality, what Did you even watch happens, this movie, John? <laughs> in actuality, what happens is lightning strikes, it hits everybody's blood forehead, then each vampire's skeleton jumps out of their body through their mouths. No, no, no. Right. No, here's what happens. Here's what happens. <laughs> this is like the ending of Clue. They they are they are zapped with lightning. Their skin begins to melt to reveal their normal skeleton. Then a bat-winged <laughs> demon skeleton climbs out of that skeleton's mouth yeah. and soars into the open area. Well, what they do is these ghost skeletons then fly at Deacon Frost and punch him in the gut repeatedly (laughs) for about four minutes until finally they stop and just go in him and then he has red eyes and I guess that makes him Blood God? Yeah, well it turns out that the 12 ritual is really just a very elaborate hazing (laughs) What you're not hearing on the audio is Steven Dorff Thank you sir, may I have another Every time a bat skeleton rams into his solar plexus. <laughs> well, once again, the vampires love their pranks. True. Yeah, true, true. They're delightful little scamps. Uh, meanwhile, Blood Doctor goes and rescues Blade out of his fucking, like, smushy carbonite sandwich. Uh, and this is the really gross scene where oh, it man. is coded as a sexual assault for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> She offers herself to him to drink her blood so that he can get his strength back. And Which it's is a fine. sex scene. Then you have it's a sex fine scene. And, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fine. The problem I have is that twice she says, stop it. No. Oh, I had I the closed captioning stop. on. She's saying, don't stop. The closed okay. captioning was great because the closed captioning was uh, sucking noises, panting, <laughs> and then a bunch of her saying, don't stop. 
No, yeah. it was... Gotcha. It, okay. It's I heard real uncomfortable. only the end of that, so I just heard stop it and him literally thrusting his <laughs> pelvis as yeah. he drank from her neck. No, no and then the scene the ends, time. in yeah. closed captioning, the scene ends with, uh, what was it, low grumbling roar. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as he like arches his back up, like it is. Oh, you mean a when he literally fucking comes? Yeah, <laughs> yes, and screams. Ah. So I guess apologies to the Blade movie. Yeah. I yes. thought it was a really creepy, out of place sexual assault, but it was no. a really creepy, out of place hard fucking. And yeah. don't worry, it was a, his it was mom is going to roll back into the scene right now and try to get some of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So like, yeah. let's not act yeah. like this is normal. Yes, after he after he fuck bites Doctor Lady, his mom shows up and then he commits matricide. Yep. Yeah, well, he tries to. Her. He tries to. He's got her pinned up against a wall, and she says something like, "You know, oh, it's so nice to finally be able to like hold you, my baby." And he's like, "I'm gonna stab you now," and does <laughs> right and kills her. <laughs> <clears throat> So, so he gets back into the fucking, uh, Dr. Lady gets thrown into, like, a little fucking pyramid trap where she slides down a stone, uh, Well, this is like, a little hole. bit before where she meets the old doctor. That was, yeah, that, that's already happened. Doctor. Yeah, 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 yeah that already, already happened. happened. She's gotcha. going upstairs and stealing a shotgun from a guy at this point. Right, because yeah. she needs to fight, uh, Puffy Coat Lady Vampire. She, yeah, she's she, got yeah, she fights, uh, dwarf white girlfriend. Dress, white dress uh, yeah. vampire lady, yeah. Yeah, one of the twins from Matrix 2. I got it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, Blade goes and fights Steven Dorff, and Steven Dorff is just like, haha, but how can you kill me if I'm only made out of blood? Uh, yeah. And Doctor says, uh, or Blade says, but Doctor, I am Pavarotti. And then he <laughs> says, well, I can't operate on you because you're my son. And he says, wait a minute, but you said that my father died in a car accident. So how can that be true? And it's a real battle of wits. There's what I love about this scene is like Blade shows up and like he cuts off Frost's arm and Frost freaks out as his arm flies across the room. Then Blade cuts him in half and the top half of his body flies in the air. And then it's yeah, it's, it's exactly like Mortal Kombat Two, where is it Jax that rips off the person's torso and that yeah. like string of blood comes out? Yeah, yeah, and then but the string of blood is a bungee cord of blood because yeah. it snaps back and Deacon Frost comes back together and he's now functionally immortal as Lamagra, the vampire god. So and just a- to close the loop real quick, uh, fucking crispy burnt, always regenerating vampire comes up and is just like Blade. I'm wearing your sunglasses now, idiot. Let's fight. I love, I love his line there. Seconds. Well, his line there is he goes, he's like, like Deacon Frost is about to fight, and he goes, no, 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 I owe him one, and he goes, Blade, I got two hands to kill you with, and I don't know which one I'm gonna (laughs) use, and then runs forth. Yeah, he ventures forth, and Blade takes a fucking garrote out of his belt a and just garot. lobs his head off, and he disappears into a pile of ash, which leads me to question, why? Because he was keeping him around for goofs. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot how hilarious these vampires are. John. And uh, Blade is only a half vampire, so he only keeps him around half goofingly. Yes. Right. Like, but, in that way, do you say to that girl you're friends with in high school, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we made out? And you're, you're, you're like, half kidding? 
I mean, John, have you ever cut off a vampire's arm? It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he fights, he gets his uh, fucking sunglasses back and he puts them on and he starts fighting uh, Deacon Frost. This and is the Deacon worst Frost. goddamn sword fight. The worst sword yeah. fight. Because it's all just real quick cuts and sparks flying up everywhere. Yeah. There's no good, like, wide shots. Uh, but Blade is just like, oh, we're at an impasse. I can't kill him and he can't kill me. Well, he can kill me, but I know I have plot armor since I'm the main character. So this fight's just never going to end. But and then, then he spies out of the corner of his eye. Ooh, my serum. I know what I'll do. Uh, and the entire time he's getting his serum from, like, a, a fucking rock protrusion... Steven Dorff is just like, oh, what is that? Your serum? What's that going to do? Suppress the vampire blood inside me and make me vulnerable to you killing me? Ha! Fat chance. That'll be the day. So he, Blade takes his sword, and his sword has a very specific modification on it where if somebody yeah, else... It's got a special set of skills where if you kidnap its daughter, it can find and kill you. So if you are not Blade and you touch the sword, it has silver prongs that shoot out of its handle that explode your vampire hand. So we say take out a vampire earlier this way. So he throws his sword up there to knock these things loose and the handle gets caught in the crack. And then Deacon Frost is like, you idiot, you missed. And then the little thing goes click and it smashes open the rock. The serum drops down. Blade catches it and then begins Ninja Star throwing them into <laughs> Deacon Frost's body. Well, what I love is he throws one and it hits him in his abdomen and Deacon Frost is like, is that all you got? And then Deacon leaps like a, ro- like a Rob Liefeld drawing, like a fucking image comic splash page, like arms up in the air, legs curled up under his tummy. And then it just cuts to Blade in, like, Benny Hill speed, <laughs> throwing all of his fucking serum things at him off screen so that Stevendorf can land, revealing that he's just covered in serum. Oh, but then and we he's... get the last one where Blade tosses the serum up and Roundhouse kicks it into his forehead. Yes. After saying the immortal line, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Which, like, not super applicable to this situation? Like, I can understand that being a cool line if Deacon is doing some, like, overly complicated scheme that's clearly not going to work. Like, Deacon's obviously taking the harder route when there's a much easier route right there that he could be doing. But no, Deacon has already succeeded at his plan. (laughs) He is no longer ice skating in any direction. He has arrived. Yeah, he's yeah. made it to the top of the hill and now he's bobsledding down. He's right. the blood god. <laughs> god of the and bloods. And so, yeah, Blade pulls a fucking roundhouse kick uh, that vaccine thing into his head. Deacon Frost now, full of this EDTA blood explosion goo, turns into, it's like the end of Big Trouble in Little China when the guy oh, gets yeah, so mad. Explodes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hell yeah. He turns that into a rules. giant, like, like a giant mass of like tumors and bubbles and air and then explodes. And then like Blade meets up with Dr. Lady and she's just Says, like, let's get out of here. Yeah. He, well, she's like, I, yeah. she's like, I can't make a cure. And he's like, that's fine. Just make me a better serum to keep me alive. And then it cuts let's to, go to Germany. Yeah, and then Moscow. It cuts to Moscow. <laughs> Oh, I had missed the screen caption because I was setting up the recording at that point. Yeah. I thought I heard German, but yeah, no. I guess it was Russian. And then there's nah, just like this, this 
this this blonde Russian lady who's like dip dip dasvidanya, and then the guy's like dip dip dasvidanya, <laughs> and then it cuts to Blade, and he goes dip dip dasvidanya, and then the Russian guy goes dasvidanya, and then Blade pulls out his sword and goes, and then credits. Yeah, dasvidanya. <laughs> it's the only Russian word I know besides vodka. I don't or understand Sputnik. Why Blade 2 wasn't, you know, the Russianing? Because they got other better people to make Blade 2? That's True. probably fair. I, I assume. D- again, I have not seen Blade 2 all the way through. When so do Blade I get the ex- excellent cameo by, uh, or actual, like, whole character performance by Ron Perlman? Is that three? That's true. Yes. That's two. Yeah, because I assume okay. that that was a favor that Ron Perlman owed Guillermo del Toro for, uh, I guess, yeah, was Blade 2 post-Hellboy? No, it's pre-Hellboy. They had wow. worked together on... Uh, uh, Ron Perlman is in Kronos. Yeah, there we go. And learned all of his Spanish lines, like, phonetically. phonetically. And, yeah. but Like, like he Christopher got, Lambert in Highlander. Yes, <laughs> but him and Guillermo del Toro got along really well. So, like, he brought him on as, like, sort of, like, the main, like, kind of vampire consigliere to Blade. Yeah. Like, they team up. He's, like, part of the evil... It's the same character he plays in Alien Resurrection. He's the shitty leader <laughs> of a band of shitty bad guys yeah. who team up with the hero reluctantly to take on a bigger threat. Nice. But yeah. that's Blade 2. Yes. This was Blade. And now, it's bullet points. Pew, pew, vampire pew, sounds. Pew. Vampire sounds. And our very first bullet point is body count. Body counts. John, what do you think the body count of Blade is? So the one piece of vampire lore that they don't address is, do vampires have souls? Because as we all know, the scary thing about a Dracula is it can stop you from getting into heaven because it corrupts your soul. True facts. So do these vampires have souls? I don't know if they have souls, but when a vampire dies, it definitely counts as a death. Oh, okay. shitballs. Cool. Okay. I'm going to say... Otherwise, it'd 30. be like two. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, uh, well, I think... I'm going to say 30. 30? Okay. If we're Patrick, counting vampires, 30. Patrick, what do you think the death toll, the body count of Blade is? I'm going to say 45. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, playing by prices Right rules, whoever is the closest without going over. Patrick, you are the winner... What? The answer is exactly two times your 45. <laughs> 90 <laughs> plus five more, 95. Nice. 95 is nice. the actual body that count That seems this movie. really high. Blade kills a lot of vampires. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. I guess you're right. And I mean, in that last scene, like 20, 25 people die in yeah. the temple. Because you got yeah. all 12 jackasses that turn into skeleton monsters. I mean, there's the scene in the Blood Rave where he throws his little crawl boomerang and it kills like nine guys immediately. Right. True. Or when they blow up the archives with all those schmucks still inside it. Weirdly yeah. enough, weirdly enough, no. in the uh, tally that I found, they didn't count that scene because all of the vampires had escaped because none of them were on camera. So they just uh. assumed that some of the, and I also guess some of those guys show up later in the movie, I guess. Okay. So they don't even count that shit. But yeah, Blade <laughs> kills a lot of goons. Yeah. Kills a lot of goober vampires. Goopires, if you will. Yep. <laughs> and that's going to take us to our next bullet point. 
Best kill. Best kill. Mark, best kill. I'm going to go for when Deacon Frost turns into the giant Big Trouble Little China Goo Monster. Uh, yeah, that's a solid kill. Yeah, I like it a lot because it's a mix of, like, the body shape is a mix of, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China, Gas Bag Man exploding. Also, uh, uh, the evil version of Doc, of Mr. Hyde from later League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, just, like, covered in yeah. red tumors. <laughs> yeah. Plus, yeah. I like a good blood explosion. Sure. True. How can you not? John, best kill. I'm going to say, is it white jacket lady vampire where she gets a sword thrown through her and then kicked the rest of the way through her? Yes. Then that one. That one was cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, the doctor uh, hematologist uh, Karen Jensen throws like stabs her with the sword and she goes "Eh!" and then she kicks her in the sword so hard that she flies back like 50 feet and gets stuck into a wall and then explodes. You guys are yeah. both wrong. White Lady Vampire does that to one of the twelve. Karen Jensen sprays oh, her in right. the mouth with the mace and her head explodes. Uh, with the mace? I think you mean with the garlic spray. Well, they call it yes. Vampire Mace. <laughs> yeah. But th- fucking Ren- Officer Renfield was just like, why'd you spray me with this garlic water? You think I'm a vampire? <laughs> what I true. love about the, the garlic in this movie is they very make sure to point out that garlic won't generally kill a vampire, but it does cause them anaphylactic, anaphylactic shock. shock. Yeah. Which, which means will eventually kill them. Yeah, which means if a vampire has an EpiPen, you're fucked. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, but they can only use it once, so that's why you always bring two doses of garlic everywhere you go. Yeah, but True. you know what? They... Ep- EpiPens come in two packs, buddy. No, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but like, they're two thousand dollars a piece. Like vampire insurance <laughs> must be good. <laughs> Well, yeah, they're, that's they're, true. We know they're in league with the cops. It wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility to be in league with the insurance companies, too. Fair. Like, I'm sure there's like a CVS Caremark vampire plan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Patrick, uh, best kill. Hey, that's uh, my line. How dare you, you piece of shit. <laughs> Patrick. Uh, well, it can only be said by a person who has played and enjoyed Quake 1. That's in the bylaws of the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's... That's okay. All right. Man, I had no idea what kind of nerve I was hitting with that. It just, Quake is so good. You don't know what you're talking about, it Patrick. It is good. I'm just saying that the graphics, were you to look at them now, are garbage. John probably, uh, likes, John probably likes Diablo, too. Yeah, he probably nah, does. Diablo's a bunch of horse shit. Uh, in any case, I'm a sucker for a guy getting stabbed in the throat up through into his skull. Hell and Blade yeah. does just that in the rave scene. And not only does he take the stake up through some random guy's neck and into his skull, he then staples the skull to the ceiling. And the guy like <laughs> turns into ash from the t- from his head being stuck to the ceiling. That's pretty cool. I liked cool. that a lot. Yeah, that was a good one. I'm a big fan of these the pointy object from underneath the jaw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah get good. that in there. And I think that reached its apex in uh, Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yes, <definitely. laughs> There's a good one in there. Yeah. There's also a great one in the Thomas Jane Predator, 
where they actually like you can see the knife in the guy's mouth and yeah. it's predator or thing. punisher yeah no. punisher punisher yeah yeah thomas jane's punisher I did i say predator remember thomas jane being in predator although <laughs> that would fucking rule uh john i'm gonna break your heart here thomas jane was in shane black's the predator and it didn't oh, rule no it didn't oh, no. Rule. yeah the movie's so bad i have erased it from existence yeah it didn't just rule. now and yeah. in fact thomas jane plays a character who his whole character is he has Tourette's and says fuck words sometimes uh, and it's funny no. isn't it uh, uh, that black. well don't feel bad John because the crux of the movie is the predators have come to earth to steal autism from a little boy yikes goof goof yep Shane Black what was this co-directed by Sia haha <laughs> topical burn nailed it that's gonna Nailed take us it all the way oh. to the bank, baby. That's gonna take us to our next bullet point: war crimes. War crimes. John, tell me about some war crimes in Blade. So when Blade runs out of the hospital, uh, the police immediately start opening fire on both him and the innocent blood doctor that he is simply trying to give medical aid to. Not only that, but when they chase him down and he jumps to the other building, they are still shooting at him. And they're like, ah, this shooting isn't working. I know. Get the military-grade sniper rifle with automatic (laughs) rounds in, please. And I'm pretty sure that a civilian police force should not have access to military-grade firepower. I mean... Nor should they be war crime using it on civilians. I mean, not in 1998, but now that would be standard operating procedure for most cops, I think. Oh, yeah. topical yeah. burn! Take topical that! Burn. That's right! Zing, cops! <laughs> <laughs> we got your number! <laughs> it's 911. Uh, Patrick... Patrick, uh, uh, war crimes in Blade. Oh, as previously discussed, war crime number one, the score work. War crime number two, <laughs> Wesley Snipes' pants. Yeah, smart. True, true. All right, the wow. fact that Wesley Snipes' pants never split at the seams is the most unbelievable part of this movie. Correct. Sure, yeah. Uh, Mark, war crimes. Uh, I am going to go uh, with... Um, uh, I was going to say the score and Patrick took it from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's because the music was so bad, you feel like you need to file something with the European guy about how bad yeah. it was. Ooh, uh. ooh, but Patrick, you really think you're going to win that court? Or are you going to win that case in a no. European court? Because they exclusively listen to terrible music. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean they, exactly. Have a, they have a whole competition dedicated to it. Right. Did you see how much Europe was sad when Daft Punk announced that they broke up? Come on. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I was sad because now those robots are going to be sent to the junkyard for disassembly. <laughs> no, no, robots. No, no, no. Jabba the Hutt's going to flip them up on his feet and bring down that scolding iron. <laughs> see, but I was holding out hope that they would just get plated gold and given you a citizenship like Johnny Five at the end of Short Circuit 2. <laughs> mm. Uh, yeah, uh, war crimes, uh, I'm gonna go with a shadowy cabal of vampires that run, as far as we know, at least one Metropolitan Police Service, and probably a lot more. We know that Dragonetti, the Udo Kier character, mentions that he's made multiple, um, treaties with the humans, so that means there's probably government officials that know vampires exist and eat people, and just are just like, the the vampires gave me like 50 bucks, so I can't do anything about it. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Rahm Emanuel. 
<laughs> oh, topical burn number three. Ooh, I don't know about topical. He hasn't been uh, somebody in a while. Yeah, call, for some time. Somebody call TBS where characters are welcome because we got that's, a burn notice. That's, hey, that's, 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 that's definitely USA. Yeah, it's the USA network. <laughs> TBS is where funny happens. Is it though, really? No. Yeah, they got Superstore, dude. That's NBC. <laughs> that can't be right. Um, Why don't they give it a budget then? They don't need a budget. It all takes place in one location. <laughs> they spent all their money on that one kid in the hall. Yes. Uh, so anyways, kid. that's going to take us to our final bullet point. Is this an action movie? Is this an action movie? John. Is Blade an action movie? Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. Patrick, is Blade an action movie? I'll go with also, yeah, all right, though the slow parts are very slow. Mm. Mark, is Blade an action movie? Ah, uh, yeah, I got to triple down on the yeah, all right. The, there, <laughs> there is a fair amount of action in the movie. Not all of it kind of holds up, especially to like current um, action standards in a in a post John Wick world, going back to Blade is kind of quaint uh, to see. Uh, it's a little slow moving and whatnot, but I think there's some cool stuff. A lot of good sword play, some punches, some kicks, some explosions. I'm all right with it. Yeah, Definitely yeah, an action yeah, movie. It works. I think the biggest problem this movie has is the same problem that The Crow had, where it's just not having any fun. There's, like, there's literally. I think where where modern action movies, especially modern comic book action movies, kind of err too far to the other end of the spectrum of just like, isn't it kind of silly that we're all superheroes? This movie is, isn't it deadly fucking serious that we're a bunch of goddamn grown up adult, not your daddy superheroes? Right. There are there are literally only three scenes in the entire movie where the movie's having like. Real fun. There is the scene where, uh, at the beginning, where the cops open fire on Wesley Snipes, and he stops and he goes, are you motherfuckers for real right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, he just stops everything to be like, are you serious? Then there's the time where uh, Wesley Snipes kills a guy and then gives a Home Alone fist pump. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's when he staples Bernie guy to the wall. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, he, he gives a really exaggerated fist bump. Uh, and then, like of that. course, the uh, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. But That, and I'm remembering when he cuts Steven Dorf and, Steven, and he goes into his, like, cool guy action pose, I don't need to look behind me to know he's dead, and then he turns around and sees that he's not dead, and he just mouths... What, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Which you know he actually said out loud and they probably cut it out for MPAA reasons. Right. I don't know. They're pretty fast and loose with the fuck word in this movie. Yeah, that's true. And just the fucking. True. Yeah. Anyways, that's going to take us to our fi- uh, final reviews of Blade. Patrick. I'll give it a one crazy, not exactly real mall ninja sword out of one crazy, not exactly real mall ninja sword. Hmm. John, final review of Blade. I give it one out of two uphill ice skates. Mark, final review of Blade. I give this one out of two vampire fangs. This is a perfect five out of ten, pretty okay movie. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine this being anybody's favorite movie. If it is, I implore you to please see more movies. I implore you to watch Blade 2, the best Blade. (laughs) Yeah. 
Take it easy on Blade Three, though. Give it a while. Let Blade Two be good for a minute. <laughs> yeah, don't don't give in to the Blade Three because oh boy, yeah. Is oh, but it's got my favorite uh, modern comedic action actor Ryan Reynolds. This will be a delight. Uh, but it also has Jessica B. I mean, just nothing wrong with Jessica Biel. She's fine, I guess. I don't know. She's fine, I guess. I think the real problem with that movie, again, from my understanding of the Patton Oswalt bit about that movie, is that Wesley Snipes just refused to be sober on set. Yes. Almost certainly well, true. And, like, he was also fighting with David Goyer at the time. Although, recently, Wesley Snipes has come out and refuted all that stuff. Now, that could just be him doing image control uh, after, you know, the, the jail taxing tank thing. Yeah, and then... I, I think that's just him doing some cleanup, because now that he's in coming to America, he's getting back in yeah. the good graces of the studio system, and he's got to, like, clean it up a bit. Now, I'm going to tell you. Wesley Snipes was really, really good in My Name is Dolomite, and he's actually really yeah. fun. He's really fun in Coming to America, but I'm going to tell you, I watched Coming to America, and oh boy, I did not like it. Oh, yeah. the new one? Why would you watch any Eddie Murphy movie after 1996? Well, to be fair, My Name is Dolomite was really good. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen it. That's good to know that it's really, really... That's one of those where I was, like, super excited for it to come out, and then pandemic happened, and I super lost track of whether or not it was ever actually coming out. It is. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Nice. It's worth it. I will. Um, it, it was a solid... Just, like, a fun, solid movie. But, like, yeah. Coming to America is 75%, hey, remember that scene in Coming to America? And 25%, like... The movie going, we're making a cogent point about how women should have a say in government leadership, but also, like, isn't it fun that all these older men are doing cool things? Well, I'm <laughs> holding out for coming to a America. Mm, yeah. Ooh, okay. That's going to be the one that really ties everything together. Now, see, I'm, I'm rating for uh, uh, trading spatuses. <laughs> yeah. Where they trade back? Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the whole time is each person saying, like, shit, we've been traded for, like, 40 years. We never actually traded back. Mm-hmm. What have you done to my life? Actually, to be fair, the trading spatuses is literally just the GameStop <laughs> thing. It's, yeah. just, it's just a 65-year-old Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd buying up fucking GameStop stonks. Yeah. <laughs> And I do forget that, that the first movie does end with, thank God we're no longer on the hook for that ship full of orange juice. Yeah. No, no, no. They're no, we did yeah. it. It's, yeah, they're selling orange juice futures. <laughs> they short the market. Uh, it's a whole big deal. Anyways, that's the end of this episode of Body Counts and Beer. I'm Mark Rosenthal. I'm Patrick Bromley. I am still Jonathan Rooney Taylor. And if your last name is Morrison, I'm coming for you next. You hear me, Keith Morrison, voice of Dayline? Ooh, You're in hey. my sights. Take them down. <laughs> Body Counts and Beer is Patrick Bromley, John Rooney Taylor, and Mark Rosenthal. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. We're there. You can follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at BodyCountCast, or email us at BodyCountsAndBeer at gmail.com.